Good morning, guys, and welcome to a new episode. This is your host, Mohammed. We'll get started today talking about portal vein. What is the differential for pulsatile portal vein? Obviously, hepatic vein can have normal pulsatility that reflects the right atrium cycle, but for portal vein having pulsatility, there is a small differential for it, mainly right heart pathologies, including tricuspid regurgitation or right heart failure. Additionally, cirrhosis, which would cause fibrosis, would increase the resistance to blood flow and would lead to pulsatility in the portal vein. And finally, hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia, which causes arteriovenous fistula. And as you could imagine, this would lead to pulsatility in the portal vein. MRI features for hepatic adenoma. The one word I would like you to remember when you hear hepatic adenoma is to think of heterogeneity. So T1 signal is heterogeneous. T2 signal is heterogeneous. T1 enhancement with contrast is heterogeneous. And this is due to the structures. We know it can adenoma is composed of some hepatic cells, fat, and we know adenomas can hemorrhage. If we get hemorrhage slash fatty content, this can cause increased T1 signal and increased T2 signal depending on the phase of the bleeding. This also can cause decreased signal and that's why we get heterogeneous signal based on the phase. On contrast, there is arterial phase enhancement, but there is no uh, portal venous enhancement. Secondary, there is on delayed enhancement, if we use a hepatobiliary agent such as Eovist, does not show substantial uptake or retention of contrast imaging on delayed imaging. So Eovist usually picked up by hepatic cells and it's secreted in bile. The key thing we use Eovist for is for FNH or biliary leak. FNH will retain Eovist past 20 minutes, unlike the normal uh, liver cells. Adenoma would not retain it. There is no significant uptake. So on a delayed exam, we will see a defect. And finally, on GRE imaging, there is loss of signal on the out-of-phase imaging because of the fat or intracellular lipid. Lymphoma that is caused by reactivation of Epstein-Barr virus after solid organ transplant or bone marrow transplant. This is post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorder. The renal transplant patient are relatively higher risk, and it can occur in any site or any organ, regardless of which organ was transplanted. So if you see a mass on a patient with renal transplant, doesn't matter where the mass is, you need to consider PTLD. The treatment for it is typically immune suppression or decrease the amount of immune suppression the patient is on. What is pneumatosis cystoides intestinalis? This is a condition or a benign condition where the, you have air containing cyst in the submucosa or serosa of the colon wall, common, most commonly seen in the left colon. Again, this is air cyst in the wall of the colon, the serosa or submucosa, and it is benign condition. What is the differential for cavitating lymph nodes in the abdomen. When we refer to cavitating lymph node, we mean low attenuation, meaning somewhat fat attenuation lymph node with fat fluid level. The differential for it is TB, Whipple's disease, treated lymphoma, 
and finally cavitating mesenteric lymph node syndrome again differential for low attenuating mesenteric lymph node tb treated lymphoma cmlns cavitating mesenteric lymph node syndrome and Whipple's disease what is the double duct sign this is a sign that refers to dilation of both the biliary duct main main uh, biliary duct and the pancreatic duct this is seen in pancreatic adenocarcinoma and it's somewhat specific other pathologies does not typically cause dilation of both ducts even if they occur in the head now what's a dilated duct for common bile duct anything greater than seven millimeter is considered dilated unless the patient is over 60. If the patient is over 60, we can allow plus one millimeter per 10 years. So 80, it's okay to have a duct that is measuring eight millimeter. Now the pancreatic duct typically at the head is about four or five millimeter. So anything greater than that, we need to consider alternative pathology or look for alternative pathology. Hepatic divisions, what is the role of right hepatic vein in dividing the liver? The right hepatic vein would split the right lobe into anterior and posterior segment, and the middle hepatic vein would divide the liver into the right and left lobe. Again, middle hepatic lobe, we have right and left, uh, middle hepatic vein, right and left lobes. The right hepatic vein would split into right lobe, anterior and posterior what are the anterior segments of the right hepatic lobe we're talking about five and eight and the posterior segments are six and seven imaging features of celiac disease this is also known as gluten sensitive enteropathy now the key thing i remember about it is that it typically involves the duodenum and jejunum now, we said involves duodenum and jejunum, meaning it does not involve the ileum. This is one of the few pathologies that does not involve the ileum primarily. Imaging features are a result of this process. So typically, when it involves the jejunum and duodenum, we lose the observative ability of food and nutrient. What happens is we lose we lose the folds of the duodenum, and particularly, we lose the folds of the jejunum, the jejunum becomes dilated. In order to compensate for that, we will have increase in ileal folds. Typically, jejunum would have more folding than the ileum, but in celiac disease, we'll have increased in ileal folding and decreased in jejunal folding, and this is termed reversal of the jejunal and ileal fold pattern. Now, on the CT, like we said, because we have loss of absorptive ability, we'll see dilated jejunum and this can cause small bowel small bowel intussusception due to uncoordinated peristalsis we can also get pneumatosis that is a benign air in the bowel wall pneumatosis intestinalis intestinalis and that's not from ischemia typically in terms of t cell or immune process remember this is an autoimmune process and so we'll get splenic atrophy and these patients are predisposed to developing small bowel T-cell lymphoma. Again, small bowel T-cell lymphoma, splenic atrophy, and loss of observative ability of the duodenum and particularly the jejunum. Imaging features of retroperitoneal fibrosis. Key thing to know that this is an inflammatory process that causes fibrosis and 
fibric tissue deposition in the retroperitoneal and it causes manifestation of this fibrosis. So we can get scarring, we can get vessel stenosis, we can get urethral obstruction, and that's commonly a presentation symptom. It also is associated with IgG4. So if you hear IgG4 in a question or retroperitoneal fibrosis, you need to think of this relationship. We can get commonly we get if it's extensive we'll get bilateral urethral obstruction which would require management imaging features of fibrolamellar carcinoma now this is a subtype of hcc that occurs typically in young patients without cirrhosis has better prognosis and is not associated with elevated afp again fibrolamellar carcinoma is not associated with elevated afp like the typical HCC. On MRI, what we see, we see a heterogeneous mass with central fibrotic scar. And it's important that I stress that actually this is the only hepatic process that really has a true scar, meaning it's both hypointense on T1 and T2 because it's really a scar. It's not bile ducts like fibroadenoma, uh, sorry, uh, like FNH, but rather truly a scar. What is Hartman's procedure? That's a procedure where they resect the rectum and the sagmoid and the remnant rectum. They will create a rectal stump and end colostomy to re-anastomose the bowel at a later time. This is typically to treat diverticulitis where there is extensive disease and abscess formation. They will resect that segment of the colon, but they don't want to anastomose the bowel because of the increased inflammatory process. So they'll create an end colostomy and rectal stump. Later time, they will re-anastomose the bowel. Common imaging features of clad skin tumor. What is clad skin tumor? This is a biliary cholangiocarcinoma and typically presents with intrahepatic biliary ductal dilation because of obstruction and abrupt tapering at the center of the tumor. The tumor itself does not enhance and it's really hypoattenuating, so we don't really particularly see it very well, but we rather see the secondary sign, which is biliary duct dilation. If it's extensive process, we can get capsular retraction of the liver. Differential for calcifications within the liver. Now, Unlike calcifications in the lung, if we see calcified masses in the lung and we're thinking of a metastatic process, we're thinking of osteosarcoma. Now, in the liver, osteosarcoma does not typically spread the liver. So when we see calcifications or almost looks like an osseous formations within the liver, we're thinking of mucin-producing carcinoma, typically from stomach, colon, or ovary. These calcifications are not only limited to the liver, they also involve the peritoneal cavity. To recap one more time, if you see calcifications or multiple calcified masses in the liver peritoneum, we're thinking of mucin-producing carcinoma, typically from ovary, colon, or even the stomach. Continuing with divisions of the liver or segments of the liver. The role of the portal vein, it divides the liver into the upper and lower segments with the left and right portal vein dividing the liver into superior and inferior segment. The superior segments include 7, 8, 4A, and 
Again, superior segments are 7 and 8 on the right lobe, 5 and 2 on the left lobe. The inferior segments are 3 and 2B on the left and 5 and 6 on the right. Classic imaging features of pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors or isolate tumors. These tumors are hypervascular and so they will enhance on the arterial phase. Larger tumors can go central necrosis and calcifications due to the necrosis and they may have intratumoral cystic changes. Again, key feature is neuroendocrine tumor or hypervascular as compared to pancreatic adenocarcinoma, which is hypovascular. Imaging features of cardiac congestive hepatopathy. Again, cardiac congestive hepatopathy, as the name sounds, it's due to cardiac process, we get hepatopathy. The pathophysiology is basically right heart process or right heart failure, which increases blood retention within the liver, and we see the complication of that. Can be due to pulmonary hypertension, tricuspid regurgitation, constrictive pericarditis, which involves the whole heart, but it limits the ability of the heart to dilate because it's a process of the pericardium. Restrictive cardiomyopathy, which is a process in the myocardium itself, and congenital heart disease, particularly hypoplastic left heart, which is treated with Fontan procedure. All of these leads to congestion of blood within the liver and leads to cardiac congestive hepatopathy. Imaging features, we would see similar appearance to Budd-Chiari syndrome, where there is thrombosis of the hepatic vein. This is a similar process where we see on CT scan reticular enhancement and not make appearance or modeled appearance of the liver. What is organoaxial volvulus? This is a volvulus of the stomach where the stomach will fold on its long axis. So this is not closing a book. This is basically twisting the stomach at the fixation points of the esophagus and the pylorus. And what we see is the stomach would flip upside down. In mesenteroaxial volvulus, we said the stomach will flip on its short axis. Features of small bowel lymphoma. Now, small bowel lymphoma typically involve can involve any site of the GI tract. Most commonly involves the ileum. With what we see, we see circumferential infiltration of the bowel wall with diffuse enlargement, meaning th this mass that circumferential involves the bowel wall does not narrow the lumen, rather we get dilation of the lumen. The theory behind that is that lymphoma causes the destruction of the myenteric plexus within the muscularis layer of the bowel, which leads to the aneurysmal dilation of the bowel. What is page kidney? That's when we get hypertension due to a renal cause, and that causes extrinsic compression of the kidney by a subcapsular fluid collection. This collection can be anything. Commonly, it's a hematoma, but it can be from a seroma, a seroma or a urinoma. Again, page kidney have a characteristic imaging appearance on both ultrasound and CT scan, so you should be familiar with it. And it, it is due to subcapsular fluid collection. What is neutropenic colitis or enterocolitis? This is known as teflitis. This is inflammatory process involving the cecum that can extend to the ascending colon seen in immunocompromised patients, particularly transplant patients. And what we see on imaging, we see inflammatory changes in the cecum. So neural thickening, uh, edema, 
mesenteric infiltration in the cecum and it can extend and involve the ascending colon or even the appendix. Treatment for it is broad spectrum antibiotics and antifungal medications. A twist that occurs along the line connecting the cardia and the pylorus along the long axis of the stomach. We just talked about it two minutes ago. This is organoaxial valvulus. Common tumor markers for cholangiocarcinoma. It's a combination of tumor markers seen in colon cancer and pancreatic cancer. So we see increase on of CEA and CA199. In colon cancer, typically it's CEA only increased in pancreatic cancer. It's CA19-9. In cholangiocarcinoma, we have elevation of both of these tumor markers. Imaging features of HTT or hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia. This is also known as osler weberandu syndrome. What we get is multiple mucocutaneous telangiectasia and it involves multiple organs. So these are basically an arteriovenous communication and the mucosal soft tissue, we see them as dark spots, but we can get arteriovenous communication in any organ, commonly the lung, GI system, liver, and they can have gastrointestinal bleed. They can have an arteriovenous communication in the lung AVM, which can predispose to either infection in the brain or even aneurysms in the brain from that same process of the AVM formation. We follow these patients regularly with CTA of the lung to make sure there is no pulmonary AVM, and we do at least once-in-a-lifetime brain MRI. What is acinar cell carcinoma? This is a rare tumor of the pancreas. It's a type of pancreatic adenocarcinoma, very aggressive and typically seen in elderly patients. The imaging features are not you know, similar to adenocarcinoma, but the clinical presentation is what's interesting. What we see is manifestation of lipase hypersecretion, and the clinical triad is known as subcutaneous fat necrosis, boner fat infarcts, and eosinophilia. So again, subcutaneous fat necrosis, eosinophilia, and bone infarcts that causes polyarthralgia. Hepatovenoclusive disease or sinusoidal obstruction syndrome. This is a syndrome or a process that, are, that results from occlusion of hepatic venules, so small venules. This is due to slothing of the endothelial cells. These cells would then embolize and block the small venules. Blockage of the venules will lead to a presentation similar to Budd-Chiari syndrome, which is Budd-Chiari syndrome is hepatic vein thrombosis. Again, it's embolization at the level of the venules. Common etiologies for it are bone marrow transplant, Jamaican bush tea, and chemotherapy. The way it presents, they can present with right upper quadrant pain, hepatomegaly, and ascites, as well as, you know, liver failure. What are gandigamma bodies or gamiganda nodules? These are basically siderotic nodules in the spleen, and they're sequela of portal hypertension, which leads to microhemorrhages and hemosiderin deposits, as well as calcifications. On ultrasound, we see numerous tiny echogenic foci in the spleen. A similar process would happen in the liver parenchyma. As you would expect, the sequelae of portal hypertension are suffered initially by the spleen, but can have a presentation in the liver, and they're known as hepatic siderotic nodules. 
gamma Gandhi bodies are also known as splenic sclerotic bodies, but they like to use fancy names for them. On imaging, what we see is, as I said, multiple tiny echogenic foci. On MRI, we see T2 low signal, and with GRE or gradient echo imaging, we see very low signal, like susceptibility artifact from what you would see from metal, except it's much smaller. You are shown a gallbladder ultrasound, and within the gallbladder wall, we see cystic lesions that are hypoechoic. When we put Doppler on them, we see flow through these lesions. What is the diagnosis? This is gallbladder varices. They present as hypoechoic gallbladder wall nodules, and if we put Doppler on them, we'll see color. This is sequela of portal hypertension, just like gastric varices. We have gallbladder varices. Pulmonary complications that arise in the setting of cirrhosis. We have hepatic hydrothorax, which is recurrent hydrothorax. Portopulmonary hypertension. This is pulmonary vasoconstriction, which leads to hypertension and right heart failure. And finally, hepatopulmonary syndrome, which is the most common and present with progressive dyspnea that would require oxygen. And hepatopulmonary syndrome is reversible with transplant, unlike portopulmonary hypertension, because portopulmonary hypertension leads to the destruction or damage of the heart. Term Shatsky's ring refers to Shatsky's ring typically refers to a symptomatic narrowing of the distal esophagus. So the distal esophagus, when it's symptomatic and narrowed, we use the term Shatsky's ring. Characteristic features that distinguish carcinoid from just tumor tumor in the bowel. So both can involve the bowel. Carcinoid is a hypervascular lesion, so we'll demonstrate late arterial enhancement. GIST is a native bowel tumor that would be isoattenuating to bowel. Omental infarct versus epiploic appendagitis. Epiploic appendagitis from the name, it's inflammation of the epiploic attachment to the colon commonly seen on the left side, unlike true appendicitis. Or mental infarct, this is infarct of the fat adjacent to the colon. And that's why the omental part comes in. It's important to distinguish these two processes from each other based on the location. Secondary omental infarcts are typically larger than epiploic appendagitis and commonly seen on the right side of the colon.